Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our thoughts and experiences of what life can be like for a new teacher. Today, I'm joined by Danny Nicholson, who did a degree in animal biology at Birmingham, then stayed for another year to do a secondary PGCE, specialising in biology with the legendary lecturer, Roger Locke. Roger, I hope you're listening, who was just a brilliantly laid-back man. Danny has over 25 years' experience teaching students and training teachers in science and ICT, and he's done it all over the UK, as well as overseas. As well as his huge classroom experience, he also co-wrote the Switched On Science Key Stage 2 scheme for Rising Stars, and the Eureka scheme, success in Key Stage 3 science for Heinemann. He also wrote the Reach Out CPD course for Imperial College London and the Twig Tig Tag. Plus, he has written articles for the Association for Science Education's Primary Science and Education in Science journals. And if this wasn't enough, he still finds time to blog regularly about science, technology and education. So he's got so much to share today. Danny, welcome. It's lovely to talk to you. Hi, Jess. How are you doing? You all right? I'm good, thank you. Crikey, man, you've done a lot of things, haven't you? And your yeah. knowledge, I've always been in awe of your subject knowledge, of course, but... Uh, That's very kind of you to say so. That's I'm even more in awe now, having read out all those things you've done. Yeah, you've been going through my blog. I have. <laughs> Get a bit off my CV. <laughs> yeah, lots, lots of writing at the moment, bits and pieces of writing sort of meandered into that, but it's always quite nice to sort of try and share what you what you've picked up in various places and put it back into, into print so other people can use it. Yeah, that's so important, isn't it? That's almost that's almost top of the list, isn't it, for new teachers? Go and find people who've got things to share because there's so much that experienced people have to share and then you can pick out the best bits. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of I mean, social media at the moment. There's a lot of teachers out there sharing good stuff and good content and that's kind of what got me into the blogging in the first place because I've, I've had stuff that I've been doing, resources I've written, stuff I've made that I just wanted to kind of share with other people so the very first websites i was setting up was going to be sharing teacher resources and sharing worksheets and stuff and it kind of all grew out of that because i always like sharing stuff passing things on giving it that's away really good isn't it because a lot of stuff now you have to buy it and then you buy it and you realize it's not very good Gosh. yeah, yeah. All the, various, the various teacher teacher selling resources websites that's normally hideously copyright um breaching and um yeah nick from elsewhere and it's always sort of slightly dubious quality and you spend ages rewriting it you download it. you download the thing off the internet and then you spend more time rewriting it you might as well just start it from scratch in the first place absolutely so folks i'm gonna put on the blog for this podcast all of danny's various links and so you can uh, you can get in touch and read his stuff and it's all good i can verify it at least in my opinion it's all very good because uh, he teaches me a lot and i think i know quite a lot so that's great so what about teaching then, Danny? How did you get into it? Were you a passionate teacher from the start? I did a biology degree, you see, and and I didn't end up teaching when I first left. And yeah, then... no, I, I kind of, I did kind of meander into teaching. The original plan was to be a vet. That was my my, my big plan was I oh, like nice science. And it was my work experience in year eleven was in a vet, and I loved that, but I couldn't quite get the grades to do veterinary schools. That I'll do biology degree, and that'll get me kind of some of the points into then trying to do a vet school after that. And after Mm. two years at uni, I thought, I can't do this for a long time. All the study, another five years on top of this. Um, So I was looking around for things to do. Teaching was kind of, was always a thing that maybe sort of, 
was interesting. I do like the sound of my own voice. So I applied, looked into it. The more I looked into it, the more I thought, actually, that, that's the kind of thing I can can do, you know, share my knowledge. And um, the the course at Birmingham looked quite interesting. So I applied for that and then got the offer the place. And from there, you think, well, I've kind of got this now as my backup plan. And then the more you sort of spent time researching it, that then became the, the main plan. So mm-hmm. nothing else really then went with it. So by the time I'd got my options sort of, and that was sort of in place, that that was where I went for a bit. And so we did sort of things on the course where you were sort of introducing to new students and doing six form days. And that sort of helped me sort of know, actually I can stand up in front of a group of people and talk. And I knew that mm-hmm. kind of thing I could do. So yeah, the more I researched into it, the more it looked like a, a viable way to to go with me with this, with biology, but not going into the sort of the full science things sort of PhDs and stuff like that was mm. yeah. So I thought I started teaching and so then that was it. <laughs> Off I went. And you were hooked. And that's the interesting thing, isn't it? I'm not sure because lots of people go into teaching almost as a as a second choice or almost as I don't know quite what else to do, but I've got this passion for aspects of knowledge. I actually like talking to young people and, and sharing and helping them and supporting them and they end up in teaching. So why do you think it is? And I haven't got an answer to this myself, but why do you think it is that people don't think I want to be a teacher? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some people who do. I mean, from an early age, they sort of really, that that's the thing they want to do. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of people, as we're finding with, with the COVID thing, a lot of people have gone into teacher training or to, to apply to be a teacher because they realise their jobs aren't quite so secure. And so seeing mm-hmm. the, the uptake in people applying over the last two years, which is the dipped again now as people are going back to, back to work normally. But I think people were kind of looking at their career. It takes some chance to take stock and think, well, my job is a... I always knew I did want to do an office job. I'd sort of done bits and pieces and I've done my time sitting on a till and pushing trolleys when I was a student. That was all fun. I didn't mind doing that. But yeah, I knew I didn't want to just sit in an office is why the vet kind of appeal because that's always really different yeah and the thing with teaching is it's not an office job although there's aspects of it it's a very varied job you've got lots of different things so i think if people sort of realize um you know they might go into work first and realize actually that's not quite for me i could be doing something slightly different and teaching is yeah yeah an incredibly varied job where you're doing so many different things often at the same time of course. But yeah, it's it's definitely, you don't get bored being a teacher, I think, it's certainly that kind of job. No, that's what happened to me, because I've said this a number of times on this podcast, but I became a computer programmer and absolutely hated every second of it because you were largely sitting at a desk, ah. um, you know, coding and solving problems. And, blah, blah, blah. and I thought, what am I doing? I'm spending my life. Am I going to sit for another 50 years sitting at a desk? This is yeah. going to kill me. And, and what you say, you do have a desk in school sometimes. I got rid of my desk quite soon because I had a little coffee table and a comfy chair because I realised all I did with my desk was pile it up with stuff. Like you say, it's so varied. There's so many things. There's so many mental challenges as well, which is something I, I really liked. So it's talking of challenges, I know you went into secondary after your your degree, and uh, that's quite that's quite interesting, isn't it, teaching teenagers? Yeah, especially when you're only a little like me as well. So by the time they get to about year nine, they're taller than you. So trying to sort of out at kids that are a little bit bigger than you. Um, yeah, secondary, um, and that was my, it was Birmingham, Birmingham University. So the, your first school was all around in the city, Birmingham, and uh, in a ring, and then a little bit further out, but kind of slightly baptism of fire when you sort of start your first sort of mm. lessons in in, in, you know, in the city, Birmingham, and trying to sort of teach, teach lessons like that. So yeah, secondary is, is definitely a... A, a challenge when you're only teaching sort of your own real close subject. I have a big 
yeah, admiration for the primary teachers I teach now who are doing every subject. You know, I, I pop up and do the science and they go away and their head's full of English and, you know, maths and, and yeah. geography and history and every other thing, which I think I just don't think I can even touch any of those subjects. They have this massive sort of thing they've got to teach. I can focus on science and just sort of, you know, case biology, chemistry, physics, but it's, it's a narrower band of stuff to be an expert in. What's the biggest problem you've ever had with a big kid? Well, the worst. Was, yeah, my worst memory of a, of a was the lesson where the student came in drunk. No, and I kind of missed it. I said this was probably my first or second. I think it was my first year or my second year of teaching. It was pretty pretty early in. He came in, walked in fine, head on the bench at the back. I thought I'll ignore him for a little bit. I, you know, I won't push it just yet. I'll go over in a minute once I start the lesson off and see what's what's wrong with him. And these were the old science labs with big long benches. That's it. I remember with, them well. Yep, sinks every so often. Yeah. These sinks have been disconnected. They weren't working, just had cardboard, uh, wooden covers on top. And about 10 minutes into the lesson, he said he lifted up the cover, threw up in the... In no! Because that's the lesson stuff anyway, because everyone's going... <laughs> and then he staggers off, heads out the door, said something, I don't know if it was... Uh, and off he went. Um, so I sent my TA to go and find him, and he collapsed in the toilets. Oh, no. And was uh, ambulance and off to hospital to be stomach pumped so oh, he had a yeah and his mate comes up so oh, i don't quite know what happened so we only had, a, only had about this much scotch he'd been around his mate's house at lunchtime <laughs> and whiskey cabinet um and he was back in school the next day absolutely fine oh, <laughs> oh, that's a relief at least have a hangover um so yeah so the lesson where you have sort of 22 walk in and or 30 30 walk in and one stretch it out is never the best it's lessons. not that's a great yeah. story, though, isn't it? Still sticks there. That's yeah. That was. Can you remember what you were teaching? Thing. It wasn't um, digestion. It wasn't digestion. No, neither way we were teaching. It would have been. It was year ten or year eleven. I used to have them for double on a Wednesday. It might have been year ten because I remember having fears of having them for yeah, double year eleven, double year ten on a Wednesday afternoon. And by the end of the year, I thought, that's it. I've got got rid of them now. Next year we can change. I got them again for double year eleven on a Friday afternoon, which is just even worse. So. Yeah, that's the joys of secondary. No, it is. People I've spoken to have, have told of so many unique things that have happened to them, of course, mm. but but largely primary. But so in secondary, you get, you know, like visits are a bit more yeah. interesting, perhaps, because you go to places where you wouldn't be able to take seven year olds. Have you got yeah. anything like that? We had, I taught GM, same school, GMVQ Science I taught, and um, we encouraged them to do do their own things. And so they they, they picked the way it was to go. They wanted to do this to align the topic we're doing about um, bacteria, and I can't remember exactly what the topic was now, but they wanted to go to Brighton Sewers. We're down in Kent, no, and they, they were digging up They were digging up Brighton Sewers at the time. So you could actually, they were organising trips down by, sort of, the entrance was by the pier. And um, so there's about seven or eight of them. We went down this manhole cover do the tour and then sort of reappeared suddenly up a ladder and a manhole cover would pop out and we in the middle of the high street in Brighton all the people looking at us as no eight, eight or nine reprobates in, in the fluorescent jacket and a hard, hard hat just appeared out of this manhole and off we went again so that was that was kind of fun and they're all looking around looking for the tv cameras all looking for they? the cameras what's going oh, on here but this is yeah a trip down Brighton sewers that was that was good fun oh, um, sounds, sounds amazing this, this is, yeah now, I know you're a big it man aren't you you're a big it man a big IT. Uh, yeah, you know so much. And that's crazy, isn't it, at the moment, the way things move so fast in IT? It's hard keeping up. I mean, I'm suddenly finding now, almost keeping out of, out of touch with some of the new stuff that's coming out, it's the new websites that are coming yeah. in. How, how do schools keep up? I remember <laughs> yeah. as a head teacher always struggling, thinking, we've bought these laptops. Is that the right thing to do? Is laptops in classrooms better than computer suites, better than this, better than that, better 
And I could never find the definitive answer because everything moves so fast. No, and I'm still struggling with that. I mean, I, I, when I did my master's, was, one of the things I looked into was what stopped people using technology and the various things that go wrong. There's a lot of you know, the laptops do have a lot of sticking issues, you know, it's at the time to boot up and mm. the, often the batteries aren't charged and stuff like that. And iPads was kind of seen as a, as a good solution because they can push a button on they come. You can use them for a couple of minutes, 10 minutes, and put them away again. So it didn't mm. become the whole lesson being we must go to the ICT suite, we must get the laptop trolley in. Mm. But even there, sometimes now, I mean, once you've bought them, there's a massive expense to get the iPads. And three or four years in, they start struggling. And you, people don't often factor in the fact you need to sort of, you know, what's your what's your strategy to renew them? What's your strategy to get new ones mm. in? Because the iOS starts getting out of date. Half the apps you used suddenly don't work. That's it. Um, or they've discontinued them, they don't work on the new iOS, or suddenly now you've got to pay for them, so you've got them free last year, but now it's a paid app, <laughs> or they want all the features you found were useful, you've got to pay for it. And suddenly it's like, well, hang on, you know, it's, yeah, my lesson plan for two years ago is now completely out of touch because all the things I wanted to use, I can't use, and what's yeah. the alternative? I'm feeling better now because all those things you said there, we used to confront, of course, and I used to think, I'm just not, I just haven't planned this well enough, I haven't thought it through enough, but... But it moves so fast, you've got to know what is coming down the line, haven't you? And, of course, you don't know until it comes down. And I had that with, with a computing lecture last last um, couple of months back with the students. We're saying, oh, click on this website, visit this website. We're going to do some data handling, and the website's gone because suddenly it's been, I don't know, they didn't renew the license or the domain name's gone or oh, Google flagged it as a risk. And so nobody can access the website. So you've got to try and find a plan B really quickly because stupidly yeah. I hadn't checked. It worked fine last time, but now it wasn't working. It's like, okay, what's the what's the plan B? Where do we go? And That's Googling right. That. So have you always been into into IT? You know, because when when I say to people, you know, as you know, I I lecture on courses and uh, and when I say to them, well the internet wasn't there when I was teaching, first no. of all, and they go, what? And you're going, well, I'm old, you know, and the internet's pretty modern, really. What Were you into the internet right from the off? So this would have been sort of, again, 95, 96. Um, as a student project, I got some kids in year eight, I think it was, to write some pages in HTML. And we put it on the web. And I wrote a little thing about it, which got published. Well, it's about renewable energy. And they all wrote a page, one page on... It's the poster, you know, it's the usual thing. When you make a poster, stick it on the wall, nobody watches it, nobody goes yeah. to see it. But I thought, I'll put it on the internet and we'll get some visitors. And we got a few, and people in Australia emailed the kids saying, I read your oh, web page, it was really cool. That's kind of fun. I mean, now it's really old hat making a web page. But this was, yeah, nearly 30, 30 years ago, which is mm. terrifying how long, how long ago that was. Um, and when I started my new school... So I moved move schools around them. So I assume you have to, I'll make your website for you because I kind of was a bit smuggling, yeah. but I know what I'm doing. School websites can't be that hard. And we made a little one, and the plan was to kind of put teacher work on for the kids to do and show examples of good work, as well as all the other stuff that some schools were starting to do with the, you know, the spinning graphics and little um, weird things that you get on school web pages at that time. And they put it in for a competition and we won. So I was kind of smug for a oh, while. Wow, did you? Uh, going to school on the internet competition. It's like 1997. So it's like really early on. Well, that was yeah. my RM. And I met TV's Jamie Theakston. I was very, very happy about that. Nice. <laughs> he's about seven oh, foot tall. So kind of got from me looking really short next to a very tall Jamie Theakston. So that was kind of cool. Um, and that's that really then... exciting though, isn't it? I, I yeah. know that when, when I was at school as a teacher, when was this? 80 about 87 so no internet then but but we entered a competition that was make your own little tv program mm. 
and we had one of them enormous cameras that you had to hold on your shoulder you know that was as, actually almost as big as the children and and we'd done a, a a project in the school of i worked in a school next to a prison and uh, it was bleak man the prison wall went round the school field wow. there was only tarmac um on the rest of the in the rest of the school and we dug up lots of the playground uh, and made every class had its own flower bed we got Travis Perkins. I'm quite happy to advertise Travis Perkins. What a wonderful company they were. Yeah. I went down to see them, and and the children had written a project brief, and uh, and they gave us everything. They gave us all the resources we need to build flower beds and and construct various different things, and uh, and then a local company that was building new houses nearby sent over some of their bricklayers and built the brick walls for the flower beds. And uh, wow, what a project. Yeah. And, and I drive past it occasionally now, and we, we'd done an arboretum. So we've got wow. 30 beautiful trees at one end of the school field, mixed na British native species. And uh, crikey, nice. that was so good. Anyway, we came second in, a, right. in an Anglia TV make-your-own-film <laughs> competition. And, uh, and, and we went up to Norwich to get... I think we won a TV. So no, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have anyone famous like Jamie Theakston to, pre to yeah. present the TV to us but the children were so excited it's those kind of things I think you know sort of you don't again you don't expect to, to you don't expect to win you, you put your things in because they're kind of from the headlights them because they sort of give them a little bit of publicity and you get a little plaque yeah. in, in the reception which and plus they're good on their own aren't they yeah they stand alone as good educational things to do and if there's a competition we might as well enter and the kids remember that. That's the kind of thing, which is always quite good. The kids remember their work going up, you know, being seen by other people. I think that's always the case. We do we do stuff sometimes. There's always the, you know, we, we make stuff in a, in a context which basically make a leaflet, make a poster. And not not a lot of people would actually see it. The head might see it. It might be seen in parents mm. in the evening. But if you can actually get things out to a wider audience, the kids then feel what they're writing is a bit more relevant, what they're producing is a bit more relevant. It's yeah, seen by an audience. And the motivation is so much greater, yeah. isn't there? Because there's a real purpose to the work and it, you're not doing it because the teacher says. Mm. Just get on with it. So let's let's go on to teaching then, science, uh, teaching Danny, because uh, as I said right at the beginning, your science expertise is uh, immense, and your teaching expertise is immense. So let's have a think about top tips for teaching, for teaching science, because uh, I know that you do a lot of work in primary schools, um, and and so what do you think? What are the things that, that new teachers should be thinking about when teaching science? I mean, I think the, I mean, the big thing is trying to be enthusiastic. When I try, I mean, the one thing I often get from the students when I've done my, my sessions is, oh, you're very enthusiastic about the science. They seem to be very, very positive about the science. I've I seen your lecture, Danny, <laughs> and you're, you're truly enthusiastic. A little too enthusiastic, maybe. But yeah, yeah you're not, because it's there. infectious, isn't it? You yeah. can't be too enthusiastic. People have a right, I used to say this to my teachers, the children have a right to think that you're enjoying doing your job. They have a right to that. Because um, if you don't want to work here, don't work here. Go and find somewhere else and be miserable. But don't be miserable in this school because yeah. children should come into class and think, oh, the teacher's pleased to see me and the teacher's excited about the work. 
Mm. Now you, you obviously get grades of that every day, don't you, when you're it's, feeling particularly miserable, but you still does. have to try. You've got to try. And I think that's the, I mean, one of the things, that, yeah, again, with, with teaching, yeah, a lot of it is blagging. I think we've all learned by now that a lot of teaching is blagging as much as you may not feel 100%, you may not mm. feel that you really know the content, but you pull on an air and you pull on an act. There's a lot of performance to teaching, maybe not blagging, there's a performance to teaching where you've got, mm. to, you've got these 30 kids and for that period of time, yeah, this has got to be the most exciting thing. We've got a leather from a spaceman, or we've got this, or there's a dinosaur egg in the classroom. Something that's amazing. Exactly. You've got to harness that enthusiasm. And if you can be enthusiastic yourself and the kids get enthusiastic, and then that will feed off each other. So you can generate that sort of positive attitude in the first place. And you know, that sparks their questioning, that sparks their their, you know, them thinking, why this, why that, what's going mm-hmm. on? So I mean, if you if you're enthusiastic and also harness their enthusiasm, because you will have experts in space and dinosaurs and oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, I was in a class only this week, Danny, and they were they were doing dinosaur fossils. Nice. And I was sitting with a little lad. He said, "Do you know what a Tosceptorosaurus is?" I said, "Never heard of it." I said, "Have you just made that name up?" And he said, "I mean, I've just made that name up because I couldn't remember the name he said." But but he said, "I certainly haven't." Quite quite (laughs) aggrieved that I'd suggested he had. He said it was a dinosaur that was about, and then he gave me like you know. Top tricks. He gave me every All piece of data you could ever hear about dinosaurs. And, and that uh, expertise is, yeah, again, it's harnessing them. If, again, if, if you've got questions you can't answer there may well be a kid in the class who's that's their mm. favorite subject they know all about the dinosaurs the kids have asked a question don't try and blag an answer oh yeah but it's blah 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 blah, blah if that's clearly wrong but you don't yeah don't be afraid to say that's a really good question i don't know mm. as a teacher i don't know we had it come up in the lecture the other day what do we do well i don't know that's that's a really good question can somebody find out for me anybody know the answer Mm. let's Google it or let's write it on a post-it note and stick it on the wall and later on we'll come back to these questions and we'll try and answer them. But, yeah, that's when you don't blag. You just say, okay, fine, brilliant. I don't know. You've stumped me. You know, we don't know they're always going to ask you, aren't they? Absolutely. And they're going to ask you some questions that no one on earth knows the answer mm. to. There'll be people who can give you a very detailed prediction about, you know, someone says to me, when's, when's, when's the sun going to disappear? When's it going to mm. finally burn out? And you say, well, all the experts say this, mm. but does anyone know the exact date, time, second? No, no one knows. So I said, there's loads of questions where no one knows the answer, but there'll be an expert somewhere who can give you a reasonable answer. Yeah, and, and I think it's and, letting the children know, again, science doesn't know everything. We know a lot of stuff mm. in science, but there's loads of stuff we don't know, and as more evidence comes in, we change. So as more evidence comes in, we change our... Yeah, opinion of something because well, we thought this once but now we think this and it's kind of you know what we thought has has changed over the years and yeah scientists think this but we're still guessing we're not yeah. sure i mean the black hole picture the other day was fabulous you know we've got oh, this black hole in the, of the milky way and now we've got a photograph of it and stuff that's that's amazing that's things yeah, and, I'm, and i'm just mind blown already again now you've reminded <laughs> me of that trying to understand just where we sit in that is, whole yeah. galaxy universe type mm. idea. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's truly mind-blowing. So that's great. You've given us two things there. Total enthusiasm. Total Love enthusiasm. that one because that's so important. And uh, and be willing not to know. But, but, but make sure you guide children to find out as much as we can find out. What else have you got for us in the, in the things you have to do as a science yes. teacher? 
I mean, the other thing is, so is flipping that around to trying to get the students thinking and talking. So um, big questions or big what ifs to start a lesson mm. off with, or maybe halfway through, just to get them talking with each other. Either they can you know, pair up and talk and then share the rest of the class or whatever. So websites like Explorify and um, the Primary Science Teacher Trust has some good stuff. I think they call it Big Ideas Time, mm. where they have sort of a, a big question. We did one with the students the other day about, you know, what if we were green and could photosynthesize? What if humans could photosynthesize? <laughs> what would be the positives of that what would be the minuses of that and what would be the kind of interesting things this sort of pmi type question yeah yeah we come up with things like you wouldn't need to buy food and we could sit out in the sunshine but you know would we have to be naked it's another question <laughs> that, oh, yeah, so, so that, that's definitely a minus one interesting i'm not quite sure you know you wouldn't have to wear clothes because that would get in the way of the sunshine so it would but it's interesting discussions well, if you were getting slightly overweight you might have to put clothes on you have to stay yeah get in the shade for a little bit and stay inside and there's some nice discussions that came out of all that so getting the people's talking and thinking an odd one out so you know, here are three pictures of three things can you pick which is the odd one out and explain why and there may be an argument for any of the three but mm. it's just having them to, to to do reasoning and to think and discuss and, and talk to each other and you can sort of run those all the way through the year just different ones for different topics yeah and that that the importance of children talking to each other and sharing their ideas i, I say this a lot to teachers that and they say yeah but what if they're talking things and, and they're talking about something that isn't true I said, well, that's a great opportunity for you, isn't it, as a teacher to listen to that conversation because you are then can find out the misconception that you'd never find out otherwise. So I said, yeah. even if you're concerned, personally, I think just children talking and when they've been taught how to talk to each other uh, in a very valuable way so they've actually got active listening and they build on what each other says – then you find that's a great way, isn't it, of deepening children's understanding around scientific concepts. Mm. But I said, even if you think there isn't value in that, and there is, then the value in hearing children speak the misconceptions, which you can then instantly address. I said, that's so powerful on its own, isn't it? And you'll never find it out from getting them to write in their books. Yeah, I mean, so misconceptions, because yeah, they always say certain things they've, they've heard elsewhere. They're never coming in sort of empty. They've heard something or seen something on the TV mm. or whatever. So if they're saying these things out loud, and I find with, with the, you know, the PGC students as well, you'll say, they'll say things that they've heard and they think's true. And that's the chance of, hang on, what, let's take that idea. Right, hang on, let's let's break down what you've just said and let's actually work out what the what the reality is, what the real science is, or let's maybe do an activity now. Because you've said that, can we prove that to be true or disprove that mm. or or whatever? So, yeah, definitely for getting the misconceptions out, the sort of, you know, just making it a teaching point or a, or a learning point because you've said that, brilliant. Let's look at that and, you know, in a bit more detail. And is that really true or not? And we've had a few. I'm trying to think of a concrete example right now, and I can't, but there's a few that we've had recently. We think, yeah, that, you've said that. Okay, fine. Let's, yeah, let's just chat about Teasing that out what is actually true is so important isn't it because uh and, and like we've already said in science sometimes we only know truth to a certain extent because no one really knows what's happening but but teasing out what is true there was a great there was a great educational writer i don't know if you've heard of him called gerald haig he's sadly dead now but uh, he was marvelous and uh, he was a primary teacher then he became a secondary science teacher then he became an educational journalist and uh, he had a great phrase once. He said, uh, "He said something, and I'm paraphrasing him horribly, but he said, uh, we do need science education and we need it desperately. He said, not for the knowledge, 
and not for the skills, much as they're both important, he said, but in society at large, the biggest problem we have is that lots of people believe any old codswallop that anybody cares to tell them. That's why we should prize science, because it's questioning and finding evidence, piecing evidence together, and then when we've got the evidence, we can then start to form an idea about what's true and what's not. Crikey, we've never needed that more than now, Absolutely. have we? I mean, this this is the thing where, you know, it always should be about asking asking why and asking prove it. I mean, the two mm. things scientists should be thinking, if you see something on the telly or see something in the newspaper, that's interesting. Why is that? And if it doesn't quite ring true, that you delve into it a bit more and find out if it is, is it's correct or not. And also just prove it. I've said this, great, brilliant, prove it. Where's the mm. evidence for that? Because you can say, oh, I've, I've asked 10 people, they've all told me X, so therefore this must be true. Well, you know, is that statement really true? And, you know, in the era of fake news and the misinformation you're going to get on social media and we've got the the anti-vax stuff and all the other things that have been going on and, you know, the COVID denialists and so on, you know, you've got to try and work out what's true and what's not. And mm. often on telly, we have a problem where we give two ideas equal weight. We say, well, here's 10,000 scientists think X and Jeff's had an idea in his shed so let's get one scientist and Jeff on and have a heated debate about flat Earth or whatever. It's nonsense, when, isn't it? It's nonsense. But it's the way to is over it's, here. Yeah, it's not news. It's for TV. That's right. So I think yeah, the answers speak for themselves. They have a yeah, they sort of fifty-fifty debate, and you then believe yeah. that both ideas are equally valid. And it's kind of hard to fight. I mean, I used to love the TV show MythBusters because I used to do the kind of put these things to the test. You know, mm. literally take things from a film or take things. And so let's actually do a scientific approach to this. You know, can you take candy from a baby? What happens if you put a bull in a, a china shop? Um, can you make a lead balloon? And they try these things out and break it right down and see if mm. it's actually possible to even do it or not. And I used to love that sort of proper scientific approach to all these sort of stupid sayings or stupid things you see in a film. So is that really possible? And let's let's break it down. And that should be really quite cool. I think. Yeah, and, and that's the attitude we need, isn't it, as, as science teachers, just to say, is it true? We're told it is. Is it? Just like you said, you know, if we were green and could photosynthesize, would that be good, bad, or indifferent? Well, well, if we want to prove to children that photosynthesis happens and plants die if they don't get light, then we can test that, can't we? And we can collect evidence, and then we can join that evidence together to get what the truth appears to be. Yeah, and you often you see, again, a lot of these little viral videos or things you see on Facebook, there's one about microwave waters apparently really bad for you. So this guy did the test where you microwave the water, let it cool, and water this plant with it, and this plant died, and tap water, the plant was fine. Absolutely rubbish, but that's testable in the year three class. You could test that quite yeah. easily, you know, and that's the thing. Let's put this, let's be a myth buster in the classroom. Let's put this Brilliant. to the test. I love that. Let's, let's really be a myth buster in the classroom. That's what you should write a book about. That would that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I'd buy it. Get on to it, it's Danny. Half written. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, thinking about, you know, growing plants, do you think going outside for science is a good thing? Yeah, I think you know, if you can get the opportunity to go outside, you know, wherever you can, especially at primary, if you've got the classroom, just classroom doors are there, you can just go out to the playground or go out mm -hmm. to the field. Um, as much opportunities for taking science outside and getting getting the children out there. If you're investigating air resistance, running across the playground with an umbrella, or if you're looking at vibrations, you know, get a drum and some bird seed and bang the drum, the drum, birds can go everywhere. And then it's just a mess, it doesn't matter. You just walk away and the birds will eat the eat the bird seed. So you know, the things where it may not automatically be the outside being part of the lesson, but the outside just can, you know, can help the lesson.
yeah, if you've got an outside resource and you can go out there and you know, have a have a box of stuff ready to go you can take outside and there's some you know, pens and clipboards and things that you can just take outside the classroom you have your lesson set up outside very quickly and you can do sort of outside you know sciencey outside things yeah that's really good that's interesting you're saying bang the drum and the you know the birds eat the seed because then the, the thing i always loved about science was that it involved you in so many different areas all mm. at the same time and and i used to say you know if you want to if you want to get children to apply their english or to apply their maths or to apply their geography do a science lesson mm. then you've got instant application but but you're focused on science um, I, I think there's a lot of power in cross-curricular links in that way, but but they're very organic, as in its application of different areas whilst having a very clear science objective for a lesson. Do you think that? Yeah, I, mean, I think that with the cross-curricular approach, especially at the moment, science often gets squeezed in terms of time. So you might only uh, get an hour or an hour and a little bit a week. So if the science can generate some stuff that then can lead into maths, so you're still doing the science activity, now it's part of the maths time or it's part of the literacy time you've done an experiment and now you're writing some stuff up or you're using some computing time to create something to show what you found out in science if we can sort of be a little bit more cross-curricular you can sort of take the science concept and run it into other things or if you've got a topic that we kind of moved off and move away from topics but topics can still be a kind of thing where the overarching mm. theme is this and we can bring the science in to make it relevant to the romans or the victorians or whatever mm. you're doing and let's look at some victorian scientists or some roman ideas you know we can you can get cross curriculum i think it's definitely when time is definitely squeezing or being squeezed in schools but if you can you know, have a cross-curricular approach it, yeah it makes it's things true. you mentioned the romans there i once taught an ofsted lesson and we were testing different types of Roman shields. And uh, so we had the curved ones, which all the rich soldiers had, and we had the flat ones, which all the conscript had. And the children said, we're going we're gonna to throw darts in on Mr. Crook. That's the way to test them, like a real spear. And we'll see how far the dart penetrates. <laughs> Not that I would blind me. I said, yeah, okay. But I said, it's got to be safe, hasn't it, Inspector roaming around, the lead mm. inspector roaming around the room. Anyway, they came up with this idea of dropping darts and... The, the shield would be on the floor and they'd put their chair around it so the dart couldn't bounce into their legs and all that sort of stuff. But I had one girl called Amy who was just the most wonderful, wonderful scientist and original thinker. And she said, Mr. Crook, I've never seen a spear dropped onto a Roman's head. So I think you've got to fire it horizontally. I, I, said, I said, all right then, Amy. I said, how are you going to do it? I said, what am I going to say to you? She said, you've got to make it safe. I said, correct got to make it safe so anyway my room uh, doubtless <laughs> like yours was was a sort of an aladdin's cave and old mm. of old junk so she found a carpet tube sawed a meter off it came back to me and said i got me plan now she said i'm gonna uh, attach a catapult to the end of the tube i'm gonna put the shield up against the wall i'm gonna fire the dart down the carpet tube into the shield and then it'll be like real throwing of spears but by using a catapult, I can make it a fair test because it'll be the same force every time. I said, brilliant, Amy, off you go. And uh, knowing, of course, that she wouldn't be able to do it before the lesson ended. So uh, so I'd be safe from anyone being stabbed exactly. by a dart whilst the inspector watched. Anyway, the inspector loved it. Mm. She said, how brilliant that a child is allowed to explore their own ideas around the same concept. And, uh, and and she thought that was great. So your your cross curricular thinking is spot on, mm. isn't it? 
you get such such great thinking um, when you apply it to a real problem. But even just oh. using books, you know, if you've got a class read, you're currently reading at the time, you know, if you can make mm. something relevant to that class book. So, you know, James and the Giant's Peach, if you happen to be doing plants or, you know, the Hungry Caterpillar, if you're doing life cycles, you can bring in sort of the books you're currently reading and the characters in the books can also sort of become recurring characters within your science lesson. You know, let's, let's help whoever it is in the book you're reading find out the answer to the problem they're finding in the book. Let's actually use the book as a, as a resource, you know, Jack, yeah. Jack and the Beanstalk, and then you can write a letter to Jack at the end of it or... Yeah, there's there's lots of ways of using those characters as a recurring theme through your through your science lessons. Yeah, no, that's really good. Right, we're running out of time, Danny. We always do. So, uh, have you got anything else? You've said loads already, of course. That's going to be so useful for uh, for new teachers. But have you got have you got one thing one thing that you thought when you were a new teacher? Oh, I wish I'd been able to do a bit more of that. Yeah, I mean, the one the one thing I wish I'd watch actually watch more people teach. I think that mm-hmm. was the thing on on my PGC when we first went into schools the mentor we had was was actually off sick pretty early on so my my mate and i who were based in, in the school together leapt straight in and started teaching quite early on we sort of bigger bigger sort of timetable load and didn't get the chance then to watch her teach and watch other people teach and i, mm. I still think even now i do quite like to just sit at the back and watch other people teach because you get so many ideas just for management tips or, or other things they do I think that's you know make the magpieing of ideas all the time so yeah. take that one i'll write that one down and i'll try that out so i think if you get, always get the chance to watch other people even in your nqt and so on it's either team teaching or, or watching other people if you get the chance no time's a problem yeah it's, it's so powerful it's yeah. so it's so essential isn't it for 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 new teachers and for trainee teachers mm. i know part, a big part of the trainee teacher curriculum is watching experienced colleagues mm. and uh i think that's really important because yeah. if you think you know it you think you're okay but actually you always can pick up something you think, oh, always I, I watch loads and i watch loads mm. of trainees in the summer term teach and uh, I still learn. I learn something off them every day. I'm off this afternoon to go and watch someone, and doubtless there'll be something. I think, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Right, Danny, wow. Wow, what a great conversation that was. Inspiring stuff. Thank you for having me on. It's interesting to have a little natural value. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, great stuff. So it's interesting. Danny mentioned curiosity a few times there today, and uh, I, I, it, it sparked a quote that that I remembered, which say millions saw the apple fall, but Newton asked why. I can't remember who uh, who said that, but but what a great quote that is, and uh, and that's what we want for the children, isn't it? And Danny told us that. Keep asking why, what if, big questions, and uh, and I think it was Walt Disney who said, uh, "Curiosity leads us down new paths," and you think, "Oh, not half," and that's what science can do for us. So thank you again, Danny. That's been great. Is there something that Danny has said that's made you think about something new or made you think, "Mm, I'm going to teach a bit more science because there's loads of potential? I do hope so. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll keep you updated on what's to come on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another thought-provoking educational chat. But until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT.